All right, well, let's begin our study up to this morning with another and a final session of glimpses into the life of Jesus. We've been looking at stories from the life of Jesus and how he impacts people and how we've learned about his character and his representation of who God is and how that impacts people for good. And, well, when people don't respond as they should, Jesus is still Jesus. He doesn't change his will. He doesn't change his word to accommodate men. And this morning's lesson, I want us to look at a story in the life of Jesus. In fact, this comes from one of our uh, campers that came to uh, uh, F- Future Preachers Church Leaders Church Camp. Uh, we sat around one day, and he uh, kind of banged out an outline, and uh, I'm going to use his outline, so I'll have to tell him that. But um, in Mark chapter 2, there is a story about Jesus when he was at Capernaum. And uh, he went there frequently. It was where Peter lived, and he had a house there. And uh, Jesus, his fame had become known, and people were coming to him for healing and to listen to him teach. And while he was in the house, and the Bible says that there were so many people who had come to, to hear and to see the power of Jesus on display, that They were in the house. They were packed out of the house. You couldn't get to the house because of the crowd that was pressed against the house. It's in that context that four men have apparently a friend, or maybe they were hired, but whatever the case, I think that it was more likely that they were friends to a man who was a paralyzed man, a paralytic. And they brought this man in hopes of finding Jesus, and they were carrying him to Jesus, and they get there and they say, huh, we, we, we can't get in there. Everybody's packed out. We can't get in to see Jesus. And so what they do is they go on the outside of the house, and they, they climb up on the roof, and they tear a hole in the roof and lower this man down to Jesus. And Jesus tells the man, your sins are forgiven. Because of your faith. And then those that were present inside the house, they heard what Jesus said, and they didn't say anything out loud. They were just reasoning in their hearts, like, who does this guy think he is? Did I hear him right? Did he just say your sins are forgiven? Come on. Nobody can do that but God. Who does he think he is? And so Jesus hearing that, knowing that they reasoned in their own heart these things, then said to the paralytic, so that they will know that I also have the power to forgive sins, I command you to stand up and walk. And the man did, and he was healed, and God was glorified that day. But I want us to look, that's the story, and that's the backdrop for the lesson. Here's the lesson. I want you to find yourself in the people of this story. You're in there somewhere. What I want you to do is to identify with a group of people as we look at the characteristics of the people in this story. Who do you best identify with? Well, let's start right here. There are the people who were the friends who brought this man to Jesus. There were four of them. In Mark chapter 2 and verse 4, it says that they carried this man to Jesus. I don't know how far they carried him. I don't know if this man lived in Capernaum 
or if he lived in a neighboring community. Capernaum's on the top of the Sea of Galilee, and there were some other cities that kind of all the way went around the Sea of Galilee. Uh, at, any ta- at any rate, even if he lived from here to the back of the parking lot out there, carrying a man is work. And um, not only is it work, but it's costly. Because I don't care what culture you live in. It doesn't matter if it's the first century or if it's the 21st century. You don't go around ripping holes in other people's houses. You pay for that. If they were in Peter's house and they came up on the roof, and can you imagine somebody getting on your roof and all of a sudden you hear pound, 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 and pretty soon they've broken a hole in your roof so that they could hear what was going on in your house? That, that's crazy. And if somebody did do that, they'd have to pay for it. These men who carried this man to Jesus, number one, was apparently they, they were concerned about him. They, they wanted the best for him. And so they went through the work of bringing him to Jesus. And by the way, folks, that ties right into, doesn't it, our friendship day? We want you to bring people to Jesus because Jesus can do them good. And so let that be a, a motivation for you there. These men brought this man to Jesus, but not only did they just work to bring him, they incurred a debt. They were going to have to fix that hole or pay for it or something. You don't just go tearing holes in people's homes and then walking away. But this issue was so important, they were willing to incur that debt. There were the men who brought this man to Jesus. Are you like them? Can you identify with them? That's what, that's who I am. That's what I try to do. I try to bring people to Jesus. And sometimes it's costly. Sometimes it takes hard work, but I, I work the work and I'll pay whatever cost it is because I want to bring people to Jesus and I'm constantly involved in that kind of work. Can that be said of you? I hope so. Because those are some four, uh, those are four noble men in this story especially as you see the outcome that, that is a result of their good work and their concern for their friend. Also, here's a second point, kind of person that is mentioned in this story, and it's the scribes who criticize Jesus. They're apparently fortunate enough to be close enough to, to Jesus that they can hear what he's saying. They're maybe in the house right there, and they hear Jesus say, your sins are forgiven. And the only thing they can say is, who's this guy think he is? You know, why not rejoice in the fact that somebody has their sins forgiven? Why do they question Jesus at every turn? He's already proven himself time and again that he is the Son of God, that he can do miracles. And, and he's demonstrated that through his teaching and through his authority, through his power. And yet they still, who do you think you are? Some people look at Jesus through critical eyes. All they can see are things, why would he do this? Why would he do that? Why? I hope we're not like the scribes. I hope we're not disappointed with Jesus as he's presented in Scripture. I remember one time a person 
was embarrassed and they expressed their embarrassment at the, the fact that Jesus was so narrow on the subject of divorce and remarriage, as, as they put it. And they were embarrassed that Christianity and the Jesus said, except it be for fornication. You know, that's just so out of touch with the world in which we live. And they were embarrassed by what the church taught on that subject, by what Jesus taught on that subject. I don't want to find myself embarrassed by the words of Jesus. In Mark 8 and verse 38, Jesus said, listen, if you're ashamed of me, not just me, but my words, I'll be ashamed of you. I don't want to be ashamed of Jesus. I don't want to be critical of Jesus. I want to accept what he says and rejoice in what he does. And these scribes, who are men who should have rejoiced that one had been forgiven his sins, all they can see is an avenue to critique and correct Jesus. Are we like that? Do we always, instead of seeing the good, look for reasons to critique, criticize? Nothing's ever as good as it should be. We've never done it as well as it could have been. Can we just take time to rejoice in what we do that is in harmony with God's will? Here's the third group of people. And there is the crowd who kept Jesus from, or this man from Jesus. Now, wait a second. You may think, that crowd, that wasn't their intent. I mean, they were all there to see Jesus. But listen, in a practical way, that crowd kept this man from Jesus. Because of the crowd, he couldn't get in to see and had to go on top of the house and cut a hole in the roof and and be lowered down to Jesus. And this is a point that I think is relevant. Could it be that we who are pressing close to Jesus can actually hinder others from seeing Jesus? Could it be the case that I, because of my behavior, because of my actions because of the way I talk? Could it be that I hinder other people from becoming close to Jesus? You know, I've had people say to me, I won't ever go to church down there because that that so-and-so goes down there and he's a hypocrite. Well, now that's not a reason to stay away, but it is a hindrance. It is a stumbling block. When I proclaim one thing and that I'm a follower of Jesus and then people can see me in a consistent practice of things that are sinful and out of harmony with the will of God, that gets in the way of their obedience. The Pharisees, Jesus said, they they block the door to the kingdom of God because of the way they live. You know, here are these religious people who are supposedly saying, come to God. And they're standing in the doorway so that nobody can. Could that be me? Could I be the crowd who kept people away from Jesus? Unintentionally, mind you. Romans chapter 14 and verse 7 speaks of those who, well, we all have an influence. No man lives to himself. No man dies to himself. I will affect. I will help a person come or I will be a stumbling block, a barrier to their coming to Christ, one or the other. And then 
there is in this story the man himself, the man who came to Jesus, Mark chapter 2 and verse 3. This man was helpless. He couldn't bring himself. He had to have somebody bring him to Jesus. He, he was helpless, and he knew that his only hope was in Jesus. And when he got to Jesus, he found the salvation that, that he needed. He got more than what he was ever bargaining for, I assume. I'm sure that he went to Jesus to find the ability to walk. But Jesus prioritizes. He sees the faith of this man. He sees the journey that, you know, what did, did he get his friends? Did his friends initiate this action? Or did he ask his friends to take him to Jesus? I, I don't know. Uh, who initiated the hole in the ceiling? Did, did, who did that? I, I don't know if it was him or his friends or joint you know, participation in all this. But Jesus is impressed. And he says, I forgive you of your sins. Now, forgiveness is something you can't see, right? I mean, that's a, that's a spiritual transaction. And so those scribes who were sitting there, they can't see the forgiveness that Jesus offered, and so they questioned it. And Jesus, knowing what was going on, said, Now listen, you can't question this. You can't see the forgiveness that I offered, but you can see this. Rise up and walk. Because it takes God to do both. If Jesus has the power to make a man stand up who has been paralyzed and walk, he also has the power to forgive a man his sins, which could not be seen. So Jesus very powerfully proves that he is deity himself in allowing this man to walk. And so this man who was helpless, he was hopeless, he comes to Jesus, and Jesus gives him more than he ever would have asked for. Not only is his physical life restored, but his spiritual life is restored. And folks, maybe that's where you are too. You recognize that you're hopeless, that you've made far too many mistakes in your life already and that you are, if it were by yourself or if you, it all depended on you, you're, you're dead in your sin. You can never unbury yourself from your sins. And so, hopeless, what do you do? You turn to Jesus and say, I need your help. I've messed up. And I understand you can fix it and I trust you. And when we surrender our lives to Jesus, He gives us more than we can ever ask for. The forgiveness of sin, the ability to stand in the day of judgment and not have to answer for all those things that we've done that are bad, those, those words that were spoken that we should never have spoken, those thoughts that we had that we never should have thought, those deeds that we did that, that we're now embarrassed and ashamed of, the, the past that... We wouldn't want anybody to know about that all those things are erased by the power of God because of Jesus. So we come to him and we throw our life before him and we seek mercy. And he's more than willing to be merciful to us. So in this story, I want you to find yourself. Are you like the men who brought this paralytic, to Jesus? Are you one who continually tries to bring people to Jesus because He's their only hope? Or are you like the, the scribes 
who just can't seem to see good in Jesus. They see all the flaws. They, they pick apart this and that. They, they don't agree. They, they have contempt. Are, are you one of those? Could it be that you're like the crowd who inadvertently kept this man from Jesus? It's not that you're irreligious. It's not that you don't go to church. It's not that you don't teach a Bible class or participate in worship. It's just that there's not a consistency about your desire to follow Christ and discipleship that it causes other people who see you to make a disconnect between you and Jesus. And you get in the way. You discourage rather than help. Or could you find yourself in the person of the man himself who realizes, I am hopeless and I am helpless. And if anything good is to ever come in my life, it's going to have to start with Jesus. He's going to have to save me. Where are you in the story this morning? And as we bring this lesson to a close, I want you to consider those four people. And I want you to consider who you are. And if you're getting in the way of folks, if you're a hindrance to others coming to Jesus, make that right. Ask God to forgive you and try to live more consistently in desiring to make him Lord of your life and to be a disciple of his. Maybe you're one who's been too critical and you've failed to see the good and and you you haven't seeing the positive things that are taking place, ask God to change your vision, to change your focus. The, the works of Christ shouldn't be criticized. They should be embraced. And wherever good is done in the name of Jesus, we need to, we need to embrace that, not pick flaws in it and pick it apart. And maybe you're here this morning and you realize, I'm undone. I'm helpless, I'm lost in my sin, and the only way to get about around that is to come to Jesus. You know the good news about Jesus is today, He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Talking about God's nature, He, he doesn't change. It's not His activity, it's not His work that is the same, it's His nature that is the same. And if Jesus was one who desired man's good to redeem man, to reconcile him to God. If he desired it then, and we see that he did from all the stories we've looked at for the past six weeks, if he desired it then, he still desires it just as much today. He wants to bring you into a relationship with his Father. He's just as desirous to you and for you as he was that man who was lower down on the roof that day in Capernaum when Jesus saw him come to him, he forgave him and restored his relationship to God. If you come to Jesus this morning, it will be no difference. God will hear your prayers. He will hear your heart. You respond to him on his terms and he'll forgive you. If you've never been baptized into Christ upon the forgiveness or the repentance of your sins, why don't you do that this morning and, and God will forgive you. If you're a child of God already but unfaithful, maybe as you look at your life, you've not been the kind of person, maybe you've not been the helper to bring other people to Jesus that you want to be. 
Maybe you've been one who focused more on criticizing Jesus rather than um, rejoicing in the work that he does. Maybe you've been one who's kind of gotten in the way of other people because your life hasn't always been as consistent as it should be. If that's you, come to him and he'll forgive you. We'll pray with you to the end that you be stronger and more faithful. If you need to respond, we invite you to come as we stand together and sing.